1: We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. Okay, okay. I got an aircraft to come east of the White right House. It's Rocky, back and forth.
0: Number five, six, eight, six, five, five. As you stay away from that aircraft. Go north as fast as you can.
1: United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? He did not land. I land. I land.
0: There are days in our lives that forever change us, whether as individuals or as nations. The tragic events of Tuesday, September 11, 2001, a day when terrorists used commercial airliners as weapons to attack our financial and government facilities, killing thousands of civilians, is such a day. And we will never forget.
1: None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world.
0: Hello, my name is Vincent Aiello. I am the founder and host of the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and I recently had the opportunity to chat with Martin Richard, a now-retired Massachusetts Air National Guard F-15 Eagle pilot who was airborne on 9-11-01. I hope our discussion sheds light on the military aviation response to the events of that day and that you are reminded of the sacrifices made by so many on that day and in the many days since. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot
1: dent the steel of American resolve.
0: All right, Martin, I don't know about you, but I can barely remember what I had for dinner last night or the night before, but this is September and Every September, we think about events on 9 11 and I bet you can remember that day, can't you?
1: Yeah, I sure can, like, uh, like yesterday, for sure. That's um, yeah. something, every year when it rolls around, uh, it kind of catches me off guard. But then, uh, definitely, you know, feel back to that time and what was going on that day.
0: Yeah. All right. So, let's see. You were an F-16 pilot on uh, that day, and where were you operational? What well, was F-15s? excuse me.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was flying the Eagle out of uh, Otis Air National Guard Base in Massachusetts. All right. Cape Cod
0: Sounds like fun. Yeah. How long had you been doing that by that time?
1: Let's see, I got there in uh, mid-99 after doing some active duty time. Yeah, so a couple of years there, and and we had, uh, you know, we had have a alert commitment there at otis where we had two jets on alert 365 days a year 24 hours a day so was that, that called and, uh, noble
0: eagle back then or was it called something else
1: yeah that was just after uh 9 11 the you know and noble eagle was basically the the cat missions combat or patrol missions over, right
0: but you guys were standing yeah. alerts on september 10th
1: 2001 yeah for years and years 30 years believe it or not okay so um, just like
0: norad stuff or
1: norad exactly all Um, right some drug interdiction stuff too but mostly norad
0: okay all right. So when you were standing those alerts, were you, how far away were you, if you will? Like uh, uh, the alerts I'm used to on a carrier are alert seven, you're sitting in the airplane, 15, you're in the ready room in your flight gear, 30 is you're in a flight suit. And then 60 and 120, of course, you can't go farther than wherever you can go on the ship, but right. <laughs> what,
1: what, what posture would you guys stand uh, prior to that day? So we were what's called immediate, which would be uh, you know not in the jet, but you had to be you know, airborne immediately, basically, oh, okay. and typically our, our jets were parked across the ramp. So it was a you know two minute car ride across the ramp to jump in the jets, and then at night we had a living facility right there attached to them. So,
0: hmm. all right, so you had to be relatively close. Right. All right. So tell us about on the morning, I mean, uh, morning on the East coast uh, of nine yeah. 11, you guys, you, did you say earlier, you had already
1: been flying that day? So I was going in for a, uh, just a regular training mission. We were doing a four V four similar, you know, training mission. Uh, we had two guys on alert, obviously. And, um, I remember I, it was a beautiful day up in Cape Cod. I mean, there was, it was the perfect day to go flying and uh, I was a also pilot with airlines. So I was getting ready to leave for a trip the next morning, but uh, I remember sitting at Dunkin' Donuts, getting a coffee on the way to work and hearing that it was the UN uh, like national day of peace or something, Mm -hmm. something to that effect. And, uh, you know, just kind of driving into work thinking that this, this is like the perfect day to fly. Mm Um, so that's, that's what we, you know, we were going into train and, um, showed up a couple hours early to get the briefing boards ready and everything and um, our director of operations was actually um, on alert that day and uh, saw him at the desk uh, we typically wore some of our gear just to expedite if you were on alert we have our g-suits on in case uh, the horn went off but yeah i mean totally typical normal day of flying ahead of us was what we thought
0: yeah Just to uh, draw a parallel, I was in Fallon, Nevada at the time and Mm -hmm. I woke up, I think I was in the car at six something. So that would have been nine something your time. And I remember hearing on the radio that an airplane had crashed into the World Trade Center. My first impression was, what an idiot. How can you not see this thing and avoid it? So at any rate, so you're probably up early. And so you go out on this flight and I assume it's uneventful. So tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so, um, and it's funny you say that because um, kind of behind the scenes, we didn't know what was going on because we were pre-flighting our jets. We briefed normally and went out to our jets, but um, we had a command post right in there that controlled all the alert assets and um, right in our squatter building. And um, and then an operations desk that kind of did the training day-to-day stuff. And and one of our enlisted guys at the operation desk Got a call from the tower notice saying, "Hey, we've got Boston Center on the line. There's something about a hijacking, and that was completely out of you know the chain that it should have fallen through. You know, to uh, get through NORAD into the command post. And so our our squadron commander, who was kind of supervising that day the, the flying operation, ran into the command post. And he literally had Boston center on one phone and NORAD on another phone. And he was kind of the go-between trying to figure out what was going on. So he called the alert guys into the command post and um, same kind of thing. He said, Hey, we've got a, we've got a confirmed hijacking, you know, get out to the jets and just await words. And, you know, and talking to them after the fact, they, just like you said, they thought, you know, um, this, this was like a hijack jet that was going to land. They were going to escort it and land it somewhere. There'd be demands. Demand a bunch of money or exactly. something. So exactly. Yeah. And then that'd be that. Um, and so while we were doing our pre-flight on our uh, jets, there were eight of us, we, were, uh, we saw the uh, security forces come out onto the flight line with their lights flashing. And just because we had seen it so many times, oh, they're getting scrambled. Uh, but not really thinking a whole lot about it because it wasn't, uncommon that that would happen on a day to day basis. And, uh, so we saw them blast off and then it was kind of out of sight out of mind until we took off about 10 minutes later. Um, our training area kind of runs along, uh, Long Island south over the ocean there and they just leave us alone out there. Um, but, but we were in the training area, getting ready to fight. And, uh, they said, Hey, it's Boston center. You guys need to get back home which was really, really, I've never heard that call before. That was unusual. Yeah. Um, so we called our squadron ops and they said, yeah, you got to get, let's get back as soon as you can. And uh, meanwhile, those guys were pretty much almost to New York city. The the two alert jets, when they heard uh, the second jet just caught crash in the world trade center. And that's the first they knew that anything was going wrong that day, other than that they were getting scrambled to intercept the hijacked airliner.
0: Yeah. So let's so, back up a little bit, Opus. Uh, yeah. What would be an alert loadout back then for the F-15? Yeah,
1: so um, it, it changed. Uh, you know, I think that day we had two external tanks and probably two heat-seeking missiles and four radar missiles. But I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that. There was kind of a standard load for that sure. kind
0: and, of mission. And gun, I'm sure. And guns, yeah. And was the idea with the NORAD frame of mind back then that it might be, I mean, what, what was the threat quote unquote prior to that day?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, interesting, you know, there was always the, uh, and there had been history at Otis of, you know, the Russian bombers kind of a thing, but that hadn't been for years. Um, mm-hmm. mostly it was, you know, unidentified aircraft that were coming into the ages. Uh, that needed to be identified, so. which is
0: usually just private pilots who screwed exactly. up their. Uh, Especially
1: in the summertime, you know, <laughs> fish spotters and stuff like that. So yeah,
0: uh, well, excuse to that go flying just, maybe, but exactly. All right. Okay, uh, so the idea of airliners as a weapon probably hadn't kind of occurred to you, you guys, all. maybe. Yeah, no. it certainly hadn't to me at that point. Yeah. But. All right, so uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt the story, but all right, so they yeah. they have you guys come home and. Then
1: what? Yeah, so you know, just like uh, yeah, I'm sure any fighter pilot would do. They said, "Stay out by your jets. We're gonna, you know, get you what you need, and then we're gonna launch again." And Of course, you don't turn a you know an F-15 in in minutes. So we all ran inside the squadron to see what was going on. And uh, so when I was getting into the building, we were watching the, just after that second plane had hit uh, World Trade Center. So, you know, they typically it would take us two hours to turn a jet, you know, get it back airborne, refueled and serviced and everything. And that's that's without adding live weapons on there. They had us turned within a half an hour at most. Uh, so it was an amazing feat that they achieved to get us back in the air. And so uh, initially it was uh, we out of the eight that we had been on the training mission with, they had four ready and and we blasted off. Uh, they, uh, cleared two up to Boston and then just to cap and we were headed up towards Boston, got an intercept, uh, just off the coast, which turned out to be a C C-130. believe it or not. That's how chaotic it was at, at that point. And, uh, you know, just in a backup for a second, when I ran out to my jet, I had two heat seeking missiles and a gun loaded up and, uh, the uh one of our intel officers met us at the jet and he said there's uh there's there's eight jets airborne with bombs on board and we've had two jets run out of fuel and, and crash into the Atlantic. Of course, none of that was true, mm-hmm. but that just goes to show you what what kind of information we had when we when we took off. It was just crazy. Yeah um, so we knew that uh one of the jets airborne was United 93. And uh, we originally were scrambled out to see what was going on with with that jet, but it, it had crashed just minutes after we took off, so we never got near it. And yeah, so then after we went up over Boston, we uh, got vectored down over Long Island, and then there was nothing there. And then they said we'll head down over uh, New York City, where the original two guys who had been scrambled were were capping at that point.
0: Yeah, that's. I remember that morning I drove through the gate and it was one of those just wavy on kind of thing. And I rolled down my window and said, Hey, aren't, aren't you guys elevated alert yet? Cause I think at that point they'd started to hint at the idea of terrorism. They said, no. So then I ran into my squadron, uh, which was top gun at the time and said, Hey, turn on the TV. And at that point, you know, it was such a helpless feeling. All you can do is sit and watch. And of all things, I couldn't just sit there. So I actually went into the gym and changed and got a workout. We have a little gym there, used to. And there was a TV in there and I turned it on. And I remember watching live the second one too. And it was just this disgusting feeling, but also this helplessness. But also as you intimated, Opus, just this uncertainty, like what the heck is going on? Like, I mean, we all know now from the benefit of history and, and all the intel that we've gathered to know where it started and how they got into the country in the first place and the lessons and everything else. But at the time, boy, we didn't know what was what. And I'll tell you, I mean, you talked about your experiences. For us, we were pure training. I mean, I didn't even know there was live weapons in Fallon other than the ones we would drop on for air to surface. And by the end of the day, we, no kidding, had old F-18s loaded up with Sparrow and Sidewinder and guys sitting in their flight gear just because we just didn't know. and so i have to think that was happening all over the country but how how long did you end up flying on that second flight did you refuel or did you just hang up for
1: yeah so um we we actually commandeered a tanker that was leading over a flight of f or sorry a-10s that were redeploying back to the states and so um the other two guys who took off with us went out and intercepted that tanker and camp that thing over Boston. Now, it just so happened that the day we were doing our training mission, we had a tanker scheduled. So we just moved him from our training area down to uh, New York City. And we refueled probably seven or eight times that day. I flew for about six or seven hours. Um, And of course, obviously, most of the work was done in the first hour because everything had been ordered to land, as you know. But I think the it's, it's like you said, we didn't, we didn't know what was going on. And when the first two guys uh, were after the, the impact, they said, you know, basically same mission. meaning what do you want us to do? And Norad was completely silent. So they didn't know what to do either. And finally um, the flight lead said, well, listen, let's, uh, we're going to set up a cap over New York city. We'll ring around at 25 miles and any, you know, nothing will get inside that ring. They didn't want to get drawn off of the cap, and then have somebody come from the north or something, and, right. and you know, uh, execute another attack. So,
0: any idea how many uh, fighter elements were airborne that day on the East Coast?
1: I know that we had two. Uh, we had four airborne over New York. City.
0: If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com slash careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com slash careers. Visit today.
1: City two over Boston. We had, uh, you know, eventually there were a couple over Washington DC, obviously for the Pentagon slightly after us. And then, um. As far as the rest of the country goes, I'm not exactly sure. So, you know, and back to that mission when we took off, obviously things had developed a little bit, but they told us, you know, hey, um, your mission is to intercept and identify, and uh, you know, if if they don't, if an airliner doesn't comply, then stand by for more words. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I know what's coming next, and I do not want to have to, you know shoot down an airliner, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing you got to remember is we were all, you know, Air National Guards. So uh, out of the six of us airborne that day, four were airline pilots, two United, two American. So, you know, I tell you one of the bright spots of the day came when our squadron operations came on and said, hey, everybody in the squadron was accounted for just because we didn't know oh. if anybody was involved with yeah, you know the hijacking or what Yeah,
0: cuz at least what 93 was out of Boston or was there more? I I, I don't know that. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, there were two. So an American and a and a, yeah,
0: 93. Yeah. So um, I, I assume were you close enough to see the smoke from New York City? I have to think you were. I th- I heard they the astronauts could see it from out of space.
1: Yeah, so when we uh, when we finally got down to New York City, the uh, second building had just fallen and um, the entire lower part of Manhattan was just covered in smoke. And, um, you know, we, we kind of thought the buildings went over not, you know, they didn't, you know, just go straight down. So we didn't know that was another scary scene because we, we thought 50,000 people had died. We we had no idea, you know, Um, and that's kind of when it clicked and went, look, you're here to do a mission and, uh, you know, you're not making, you're not making the decision. You're executing the decision that the people on the ground, hopefully with a big picture are making. And so, you know, it's kind of the country's counting on you to, to get it done and make this stop. Yeah. Um, so it was just incredible. Uh, yeah. we worked, um, really closely, believe it or not, with New York approach, um, uh, that day because NORAD and um giant killer up there in the northeast you know they it was hard for them to keep track of threats and and non-threats um so and it was i think it was really interesting you know looking back on it working with new york approach who never worked with military before and they were just calling targets out all over you know new york city new jersey and everything and we had we basically said listen you guys are giving us good information but you know, we need to know where the target is, um, you know, maybe an altitude if you have it. And then we just need you guys to be quiet once we right. say, you know, we're air contact. So they caught on really quickly. And it was actually really effective for having never worked with them before and them never working with us before Yeah, to chase down aircraft.
0: Yeah. Did you have end up intercepting any yeah. civilian guys that were just out, had no clue what was going on? And
1: Yeah. You know, and so um you know and and also, believe it or not, lots of helicopters military even that were coming to uh sort of lend aid and and possibly help evac out yeah um you know, and i I don't know how effective that was, but I do remember um <laughs> intercepting a a three ship of Chinook helicopters and then coming up on guard and saying hey, don't shoot us down, you know? It's like, we're here to help too, you know? And it was right. just like, it was just crazy because there was yeah. no, there, you know, there was no real operational control of what was going on right then, so. It,
0: when, you, when you think of the expression fog of war, is that yeah. kind of, you think about that day?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, air to air, we're good. Navy, Air Force, you know, we're good at what we do. I think it helps stabilize the situation, that we kind of took control of it from the air Mm -hmm. and that we could see what was going on. Shortly after we got on cap, we heard, Hey, you know, the same, we're having the same issues in Washington, DC. And it was really one of those things that, you know, your heart started racing again, but you know, it was like, look, we're here's our responsibility. This is our AOR. It's over the world trade center and they're going to have to get someone else to deal with that and kind of compartmentalize that and just concentrate on what we were doing. Yeah. It's like, you, you, I remember that day I'm, I'm, I was intercepting. I was up over kind of the George Washington Bridge. They called out a contact that was over, kind of over by JFK. Um, so kind of Southeast, a um, couple of miles and, uh, you know, I'm flying over Central Park at a couple hundred feet and I see a guy jogging. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, what is this guy doing jogging? you know, when all of this is going on, but it's, he just, he didn't know, he didn't know what was going on. He's out for a morning job, you know? And I think, I think it's such a good metaphor for that day. It's like people just didn't, they didn't have a grasp because it wasn't even within their, you know, their ability to conceive of something like this happening, even though a few years earlier they had driven a, you know,
0: a a truck underneath the World Trade Center trying to borrow
1: it. Yeah, 93, uh, I think it was. Yeah. Uh,
0: So... um, You know, I don't know about you, Opus, but you join the military. You expect that you're going to sacrifice where you want to go, where you want to live, even maybe what airplane you fly. And I talk to young people on this show about that all the time because you may not get the airplane you want, but you try to make the most of it. And, And I think I was personally ready for most things, but... The thought of shooting down an airliner full of people—just that was out of left field. I that when I started contemplating that, and I was never, of course, uh, in a position where I was flying like you were, but you were that. Just I guess my point is that much closer. Well, I mean, you're in the airplane. You, hey, you're all business, but you kind of alluded to it before. What was that like for you? Did you like? Did you allow that to creep in a little bit?
1: I mean, it it did, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. And, um, you know, I had flown combat missions before and it sounded like combat. So to juxtapose that over your, your city, you know, you're in the United States, it was, um, that was hard to deal with. But like I said, once we got down to ground zero, it just, it had to stop. And that was, you know, part of the oath you took, um, you know, it's, uh, people ask me all the time, you know, looking back, what do you think about that day? Well, it was probably the worst flying day I had, but also, you know, in a way it was, I was pretty lucky because I didn't have to, you know, because that would have obviously been a life-changing event. Um, you know, the truth is that those terrorists, they they knew what they were doing. You weren't going to save the people on those airliners, unfortunately. That's right. No matter what, so it became about regaining air superiority over a country and protecting the people on the ground.
0: Yeah, and I have to think as I got to be delicate here. I mean,
1: yeah,
0: if you assume the airplane is going to crash, right, the people on board. Or almost a sunk cost. And I would never yeah. consider someone's life a sunk cost. But I think if you think of the analysis, you could say, okay, that's a foregone conclusion what can I save if I keep them from striking the White House or the, right. the Capitol or whatever the other targets were for? And, of course, I don't want to go into any of the, you know, we're, we're such a divided country right now. Some people might cheer for certain right. parts of that, but I, I don't, that's not the point I want to make, of course. But, but if, if you did have to do it, I think, at least for me, that's what I would have to do is, hey, look, uh, I kind of like the Flight 93 guys, okay? They went down in, in uh, out, what is that, Pennsylvania, yeah. And so nobody on the ground died, uh, but of course everybody on the airplane did. But nobody else died at the Pentagon or the Capitol or whatever. Right. So, yeah,
1: you know, unfortunately they were, you know, you know, on the front lines of, of the battle that day, and um, certainly not by choice. And they're yeah. all heroes. I mean, I uh, I got to meet many of the families, just you know, in the time after nine eleven. Uh, is tragic it's just Mm. absolutely tragic um but you know for us we didn't have a chance to let that emotion come into it at that time it was something we all dealt with in varying degrees certainly years after 9-11 um and and even today um and so i mean i guess that's how you process it Um, yeah you know we're trained to do a mission and um it's just even though the, we weren't planning on that specific mission we just had to kind of box it off yeah um,
0: when you finally landed that afternoon how long had you been airborne
1: i think about seven hours six hours yeah and no, um, uh
0: no peanut butter and jelly right nothing but nothing whatever,
1: whatever you can i mean around. honestly it, it seemed like you know it seemed like an hour you know just okay. because it was so just happening you know, exactly. yeah exactly uh, You know, and I mean, I just, uh, we, you know, we're going back to the base, you know, requesting, requesting an altitude like you normally would do to fly back, you know, a 9 clearance. And they're like, you guys are the only ones flying. Yeah. Whatever you want. this is like, wow. You know, I mean, crazy.
0: Did you guys man alerts through the night or the next day or anything or a fly, I should say alerts?
1: Yeah. So that changed a lot after 9-11. And then we kind of had that tiered system that you talked about. Um, I'm sure there was some coordination, um, you know, Army, Navy, or sorry, Air Force, Navy, and, you know, sort of, you know, what do we have that we've done that would work in this situation? So, yeah, we definitely upped our alert commitment. Uh, We did not train for the next year. We didn't do one training mission for the next year. Our whole being was all flying uh, combat air patrols over American cities. So, um, and then having that immediate response, which, You know, after 9 11, it was anything, these uh, temporary flight restrictions were causing issues for Mm. private pilots. Uh, You'd have people pop up, similar names that, uh, you know, on a terrorist watch list we'd go intercept. So then it was really busy for sure. Sure. (laughs) It was like.
0: Opus, let me ask you about November. I don't remember the exact (laughs) date, but there was another airliner crash on Long Island, and it turned out to be Mm -hmm. structural slash pilot induced do you recall that number one and oh yeah in fact
1: believe it or not um rosie mcgrady and i got scrambled on that jet um it it obviously had crashed but because they didn't know what happened at the time they scrambled us um down just to see of course we only saw wreckage but um but yeah i mean again you're like you're kidding me this is going to just barely got back Mm -hmm. exactly um so um, you know another unfortunate case, but uh, you know it was fortunate that it wasn't another terrorist attack yeah. kind of situation. Uh, and I'm sure that the people on the ground, you know, were and, you know not digging that news either.
0: Uh, no no. i remember uh, hearing that thinking oh nuts here we go again and then later when you read the report of the guy using i think full runner but that was what he was taught Uh, that was kind of crazy but yeah i just wondered again in the absence of information people are going to fill in their own narrative and so you guys yep sounds like you blasted off and and uh don't know and of course did did they did they end up grounding or stopping or anything that day until they figured it out do you recall
1: they did not i mean um and you know i do remember feeling um you know i wasn't apprehension but i i definitely felt way better prepared you know a month later when that incident happened
0: yeah
1: on 9-11 just because that was total chaos you know, and and I think, um, you know, I've been fortunate, again, like I said, to meet some of the people who were on the ground in the World Trade Center area that day. Um, one of, one of a person I met who's become a good friend, Gil Sanborn, was across the street when the attacks happened. And, um, you know, he said that, and this is just, it's just uh, kind of inspiring to hear, but he said that you know they they went from total chaos to to when they saw the F15s go over and they just felt a total sense of okay well now we've got this you know and so they evacuated out of the city um and uh you know like you said on September 10th they talked about alert being a mission that was that was going away and obviously after September 11th that all changed yeah. in, in that day
0: Well, the world changed too. And I I, I look back and I remember thinking at the time, and I don't pretend to be particularly smart. Everybody knew that the world was going to change, but just our way of life, air travel, certainly. And of course, you know, COVID, I think is also having a similar effect now on this generation, but I, yeah, I just, I just knew that nothing would ever be the same. And, and, you know, uh, it was definitely one of those days that people who were alive when Kennedy was shot, they say they remember people who were alive when Pearl Harbor was attacked, same thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. for those of us who experienced this, it's one of those days you just never forget, certainly for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking back on it, you know, and I've spoken to all kinds of different groups around the country about it. And and honestly, it's that, that whole, the thing that resonates with, resonates with me is that, you know, never forget. I think it's important we remember, even if it's just once a year, that this, this is, you know, a, a turning point in our country's history for many reasons. And that, you know, we, we owe it to those people who found themselves on the front lines that day, whether they were in the World Trade Center or on one of the airliners to just uh, pause and remember them and, yeah. you know, give thanks for the lives that they had. Um, you know, they, they, the, the people in the World Trade Center—they just went to work that day. You know That's what right. I mean? And um, they, you know, they just—they uh, didn't—they didn't get home that day. And it's just something that I try to really reflect on every day. Feel yeah. blessed that you know I'm I'm here and have this time that, that they don't. So. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just
0: in our world. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow-ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.